Cardboard Studios presents. Heavy Cardboard, Episode 21, Indonesia. Coming to you from the future home of Gen Con in 2021, Denver, Colorado. Welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts. I am Tony. I'm Edward. Awesome introduction. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, let's start off with telling everybody how to get in contact with us. Our Twitter account is at Heavy Cardboard. Find us on Facebook, Heavy Cardboard. Send us an email, heavycardboard at gmail.com and heavycardboard.com on the web. Also, if you guys would, take a moment, give us a rating, maybe even a review on iTunes. Speaking of which, a big thumbs up goes out to A. Dixon 6 and Clayton Ross. They left us reviews over on iTunes since our last episode. It happens they were both very kind, so we, we very much appreciate it, y'all. Indeed. Thanks a lot. Indeed. We also want to thank uh, Game Surplus for their awesome sponsorship of Heavy Cardboard. Good people with a great reputation. And they have a great inventory of games as well. A lot of imports, hard to find games. Find them on the web, www.gamesurplus.com. So, yeah, my first week back yeah. at work uh, after missing a couple of weeks due to a bad back. Two weeks. And uh, it wasn't horrible, so that's that's the good news. Mi- wait, missing two weeks or uh, getting back to work? No, the missing two weeks was not horrible. In fact, I wish it would have been three <laughs> weeks. <laughs> but uh, thanks to everybody for the well wishes. It, it greatly appreciated. Brought a smile to my face. It, it, it was nice. And it still hurts like hell, but I'm managing thanks to uh, better living through pharmaceuticals. Yeah, during our game session on Saturday, you did take some medications and soldiered right on through a full day of gaming. And last night, while I was prepping for the show, I had drank a bottle of wine, popped a couple oh, of yeah. in, Saw that. And, <laughs> yeah. and had some fun. Yeah, that was, that was good stuff. So who knows what this episode's going to be. Woo! And a uh, big shout out to the Punching Cardboard guys. They they recommended we record last night while on the Vicodin yes. and the wine. Well, Amanda did take some video of you prepping, so. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, no, but anyway, seriously, uh, thanks to everybody for the well wishes, and uh, it's getting better, Slow, slowly but surely. Right on. Um, so, just some, you know. Odds and ends here. Miscellany. Uh, I joined a fantasy baseball league with a bunch of people from Twitter. Uh, Cardboard Jungle fellows, Marty from Rolling Dice Taking Names, Brandon Kay, who's a fan of the show. He's our commish. Open Face Chad, which Paul mm-hmm, Chad mm-hmm. knows who that is. Should be fun. And no, you won't hear about my team going forward because, let's face it, nobody gives a shit about that. I wish I had time to waste like that. <laughs> Thankfully, we're setting lineups every week, so it takes five minutes. Mm, done. All right, cool. <laughs> March Madness has been fun to watch, uh, especially since that that started, the, the opening weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something I've always said that I, I if I was ever to get a vasectomy, it would be during that time. Oh, yeah. So that it, you're laying on the couch <laughs> yeah. watching the games. Well, with my injured back, I got a chance to do that, so it was, it was pretty exciting to watch. It was fun. Uh, I used to be more into college ball, but... Just, just not anymore. Yeah, I. It's one of those. I'm into March Madness, and I'm in. Obviously, my Oregon Ducks. You know, it's cool to to see them make it to the second yeah. round. But otherwise, it's it's one of those. Oh, it's on. 
March Madness, sure. Mm -hmm. We try and watch that. And the wife's big into it as well. So Close call for Kentucky. Yeah. They they eked out a win against Notre Dame recently. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was cool. Spring training's almost over. The boys of summer will be starting by the time we... Uh, by the time next episode comes out, I know you're shaking your head. You don't care, but some of us do. Baseball. Go Reds. And on that note, my Canucks are in an absolute dogfight for the playoffs. Going to be a crazy final two weeks of the season for uh, for hockey. Man, the only solace I have in hockey is that that we beat the Canucks recently. Yeah, uh, I don't know where that came from. I, I don't either because the Avalanche are just, uh, they're a frustrating team this year. <laughs> Uh, I will uh, shout out to your Canuck boys. Those are some killer throwback uniforms they wore. Oh, Those yeah, sweaters. With, the, with the V and the yeah. Vancouver. 100 years old or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, pretty that, awesome. It was awesome. Um, and last last bit of odds and ends I have is this afternoon, while I was finishing my prep and fig, uh, fixing all the things I screwed up when I was uh, under the influence last night, I noticed we hit 200, uh, 200 folks in the guild. So that was... That was pretty cool, dude. It is very cool. Um, lots of good discussion going on in there. So if you guys are yeah. interested, go there, join there are a lot of good discussions on there. Yeah, and it's not driven by us, which, which really makes me happy because yeah. it's the interaction of everybody who has I mean, you know the same mind. We get in and, as far and as, chime you know, in on likes. things, but I mean, it's just a forum for people to talk about you know medium and heavy games. Yeah, so it's that's been really cool. That's been taken off, and I'm excited to see. Yeah, man. Well, let's uh, let's talk about games that have joined our respective collections most recently. So I haven't spent hardly any money, but I've acquired a whole bunch of things thanks to uh, some math trades yeah. on board game. Geek. Trading is an awesome way to acquire. Yeah, especially when it's in bulk. Um, <laughs> so in, in the last math trade, I acquired six games. I made six trades. I got uh, Sigamundus Augustus, and the mini expansion comes with it. It's a worker placement game set in the 16th century Poland. You fight for influence and power. It's relatively rare here in the States, and it has a cool theme, plus it's worker placement, so I'm willing to give it a try. Sure. Uh, Successors, 3rd edition. Alexander the Great's dead, and his Macedonian generals fight to succeed him. War game by GMT. Uh, Successors was on the P500 and recently got removed from the P500. So when I saw that, I was like, ooh, maybe I should go try and get a third edition copy and luckily enough i did cool caesar's gallic war designed by our buddy dan daniel berger mm-hmm. a block war game that i've read a lot of good things about and i've been trying to get and have failed miserably every time i've tried to get it so it was cool to get a new and shrink copy right on and i got three martin wallace games yeah first train to nuremberg which happens to be it was a sweetener to go along yeah. with rise of empires i have a copy of first train it, and it's really two games in one there's two boards that come in the box, and it's um, it's a interesting counterintuitive game. Okay, I'm looking forward to it's yeah. Martin Wallace, so I'm willing to give it a try. Yeah. And the last Martin Wallace was Liberté, right? Uh, French Revolution, it's a big one. Nuno Santiero's one of his favorite games. He says is Liberté, so looking forward to getting that to the table. Then I got from the War Gamers, pay it forward. Basically, it's just here. Who wants a game? And then you just offer something else up. Uh, it's a cool little chain of generosity mm-hmm, is kind of mm-hmm. what it is. And I got Ambush and two of the expansions for it, Move Out and Purple Heart, a guy offered up. And I happened to be up late one night w- with my back hurting. I saw that and jumped on it. I was like, rock on, dude. Lastly, the only out-of-pocket expense that I've acquired uh, was a cool deck of replacement cards for said Ambush from the Game Crafter. 
makes the game feel more modern. Yeah, and, those are very cool. Yeah, it's just little uh, custom deck yeah. that replaces the little punch out um, like perforated cards from the original ambush. I'm trying to think, I think uh, I got rid of my copy of Ambush when I moved back to Colorado from Washington D.C. and that was like '95, so early '90s I had a copy. Cool. It's an old one. Oh, yeah, but it's something I'm anxious to, to try. I mean, it's old victory games from early 80s, right? Around 80, 82, I think? Mm-hmm. Something. So, what have you acquired, well, sir? Well, a couple of things. Just ordered the Golden Guns expansion for Carson City. I acquired Orléans. I got that uh, after watching some videos for it, uh, thinking, boy, this is Robin's kind of game. Sure. And it is. Oh, yeah, she is. 3-0. and Yeah, she... Uh, <laughs> I think she's good. That game might... Uh, might put a damper in any deck building possibilities. Like there's the, just, the, like, the like bag building. The bag building is at least that that implementation of it is to me more interesting than Dominion, Star Realms, that kind of stuff. Huh. Yeah. All right. Uh, I also just ordered a copy of Tashkent, and um, Tashkent is a. Uh, I don't even think it got any U.S. distribution. I was ordering some factories to pimp out a copy of Automobile. Wait, wait, wait. You ordered these already? You I did. Offer, hey, you, is there anything from, I don't oh, know, across the Atlantic across the that Atlantic. you would like to order well, as well? Now you're going to feel really, I'm going to feel really bad now because uh, after ordering my factories and stuff, it's been like $11 and I'm like, well, that's not worth the shipping. So oh, what thanks, games buddy. do they have? Thanks, I friend. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and I saw Tashkent, which is this little market game that, I've seen and had some modicum of interest in. I'm like, well, I might as well throw it in there. It's 22 bucks, and it's by Piers Sylvester, who did King of Siam and Versandas Volk. Two of your favorite games. Uh, well, King of <laughs> Siam is one of my favorite games. Um, and Clemens Franz did the art in that and Orléans. Yeah, you yeah. can definitely see it in Orléans. I also uh, printed 1800. The little two-player little mini set in Colorado. Yes, it's a P and P. I've been following the discussion in our guild on 18xx, and I really want to get some more 18xx under my belt. And I figured that might be easy to get on the table. Just plays two, might just bang it out real quick, and then move on to some other things. I'm hoping that we'll be able to get 1846 reviewed sooner rather than later. So we'll see. So we'll just jump right into hunting, anticipating on the shopping list, and for me. Um, there's really nothing. There could maybe be opportunity purchases here and there, like Tashkent and Orléans were, but those are a mystery to me now and might be pleasant surprises to me later. Yeah, actively hunting, nothing. I mean, obviously, there's Princes of the Renaissance. Yeah, I know you guys know, and 18 Ardennes and stuff. But And like you said, it, it's it's targets of opportunity. Right. If, if something I see for the right price, sure, I'll jump on it, but there is literally nothing I'm actively hunting, so... Well, let's see. Uh, we have played a number of games together over the past couple of weeks. And to be honest with you, I haven't played anything outside of that just because right. when I'm back at, since I've been back at work, I've been pretty worn out when sure. I get home, so I'm not really feeling like sure. sitting at the table. Well, the only, the only thing I've played without you is Twilight Struggle and Chinatown. Mm-hmm. And together we've played, we played SNCF, which was the original version of Paris Connection. Which was just... That that's my kind of filler, dude. If yeah. We, if we're gonna play, that was an interesting outside of a dexterity, outside of a dexterity game like a, a Bowsack or Saturn or something like that, hamster roll. That's the kind of filler that I want to play. That was that was wicked cool. Fifteen twenty minute yeah. game that really has some we good played decisions it twice in a row. It was so it was quick, but it was so cool. Yep. So cool. 
Uh, Florenza, we, you and I played a game of Florenza, a two-player game. Obviously, we've been playing Indonesia. Is that how you pronounce that? Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, War of the Roses, we're going to talk about that game as well. Uh, Peloponnese, thank you, Mur. And In the Year of the Dragon, and we've also... I've mainly played early on with the wife and Matt, but you, yeah, and, you and Amanda and Robin and Matt played the other day. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. I was uh, it's a very cool efficiency game. Interesting take, like you said, on the on the deck building in a bag building sense. That was that was pretty cool. I backed it, the deluxe version right. on Kickstarter. I'm anxious to see how the wooden discs, if oh, those yeah. are more. Easily removed from the bag because yeah. we tend to use cups. Yeah, uh, because it's just the too bags hard. that come with it are like shopping bags. Yeah, they're they're, they're, they're too big for ra- the discs. Rarely will I say that a bag is too big. Yeah. for a purpose, but yeah. in this case, I think it was. But yeah, uh, pretty cool little game. Right on. So Tony, let's roll into some trailers. Yes, sir. Florenza is a game by Stefano Gropi, made in 2010 by Placentia Games. I recently received a second edition copy of Florenza and gave it three two-player plays. I really would like to play a three-player version of it, but more on that later. It's a two-to-five-player game that takes about two to three hours, depending on the player count. And what's going on in the game is that this is a worker placement recipe fulfillment type of game where the players are competing for prestige by hiring artists to complete the works that are depicted on the main board but also on their own player board. The artists are painters, architects, and sculptors. And each turn, you're going to be earning prestige points by completing these works of art. And sometimes the artists will lend a little extra prestige to them because some artists are obviously more well-known than others. And the leader each turn in prestige points is going to be awarded the captain of the people and is going to have some special privileges in the next round First of all, they're going to be the first player. And second of all, they're going to be able to detain one of the workers that belongs to one of their opponents. Or? Or they can detain an artist. Right. So only they can hire him. Hey, Leonardo. Yeah, let me go. Ha- why, don't you, why don't you come have a talk with us come over here? Talk. Also, by completing works, the players can earn church influence points. Some of the works are religious in nature. And once a player has a certain number of church influence, they can be appointed the bishop. And that has some player advantages in the next round, too. Primarily, you're going to be the second player in turn order. And you can also expel one preacher from the game for that turn so that nobody can donate to his charity and reap the benefits of doing so. Or you can also go ahead and convert one of the opponent's workers to your family. <laughs> Sounds more like a mafia don than, right. than well, a bishop, but it uh, is Italian. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, to best compete, the players are erecting buildings in their personal tableaus that are worker placement opportunities to earn resources, money, and additional workers. All of these things are required by the artists that they hire to do a particular work. A particular work might require. Four marble, two wood, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and an artist of a certain type. And this is where the recipe fulfillment yes. comes into play. New artists come into Florenza almost every turn. They do so as artists leave Florenza, so you have to hire them while you can. Yeah, while they're in town. Hey, 
Leonardo, while you're in town, why don't you come over here and paint this mural for me? Oh, I'm only here two more turns. <laughs> uh, and the game ends after ten turns, and the players count up their prestige points. There's a little bit of endgame scoring, and you'll figure out who the best patron in all of Florenza is. So what, what's cool about this game? Based upon your tableau building, you're going you're gonna to have four to eight workers per turn. You always start with a base of four, and anything above that goes away, but they could come back next turn based on your tableau. First thing I want to point out here is the theme. Everything's in Italian. It, as far as yeah, on the board, building and on names. player board, everything. And it really has in all the artists, you know, or the artisans, whether mm-hmm. they're you know artists or sculptors, sculptors. or whatever, um, they're all their true Italian names. And it's just the theme kind of drips out of the game yeah. in that respect. And I, I really dug that. Because there's a lot of Italian names, and because of some other issues, this game has one of the finest player aids in the history of board gaming. Which really is a big compliment, considering how many games are out there, how many we've played, and how many games really need a good player aid. The game would be unplayable almost without it, just because of the the buildings, names, and and things. I, I really like that mechanic of becoming the captain of the people. Because as you earn prestige... The person who has the most is going to be be appointed captain of the people. And let's say I'm that person and I have 21 prestige points on the track. I'm going to collect 21 prestige certificates and then move my score back to zero. Meanwhile, you're still at 17. You're probably going to be the captain of the people right. next turn. It, it, it's a cool little, not really catch-up mechanic, it's but a it's balance. a cool, cool, like... Uh, Round table as far as, okay, you're captain of the people this time. Unless you do something super big, right? I'm odds are, you're, whether it's a two-player or three-player, you're not going to be the captain of the people next turn, more often than not. And similar with the bishop in that same kind of mechanic. But those two guys, the bishop and the captain, they do, they do add a little skullduggery element to the game, which is, which is kind of cool. Again, fits the time period and fits the theme. Indeed. There is some uh, randomness in the game, but I think it's okay randomness. You basically you just you roll a die on an artist when he completes a work for you, and you might earn one, two, five, six more prestige points. Not a big deal. Which kind of I, I can rationalize that, like whether or not he kind of mailed it in. Like he didn't really try his best, That's right. <laughs> you know, depending on where it was. Yet maybe I still I didn't paid try. him. Yeah, yeah, you paid him, but maybe. You didn't get that extra prestige because, oh, yeah, that's just yeah. another Renoir, yeah. you know, whatever. But when you do roll the big numbers, sometimes those artists will paint a masterpiece, which is really kind of cool, too. And it kind of, you know, oh, wow, look, people come from all around to come visit to see his masterpiece. Yeah. And that thematically, it makes sense. That that thing about how long people stay in the in Florenza is pretty cool too. How they go out and new people come in. Well, yeah, and and, and part of that randomness is who comes in and where they come in. So you randomly pull out, yeah, new chits. Yep, and match up. Okay, find card number seventeen. Oh, he comes in. You know, on the third, so he's only going to be here for three turns, yeah. etc. But again, it's a it's a reasonable. Uh, amount of randomness that that again suits the theme in the game so there's a couple of minor issues with the game in my opinion um one the buildings that i build and put on my tableau and you on yours they're just over one inch square and everything on there is so small that if we were playing this four or five players 
you can't possibly read what everybody has, and that which that's you a need, real problem. Which you need to because of the fact that you can force one of your workers right. to work on your own tableau yes. for me. Right. I need kind of like can, or at Labora. Right. I pay you a prestige point, and my worker gets to use your building. Right. But you have to be able to see what my buildings yeah. do, and they're so small. Being they're able to tiny. see it across the the side of the table, that definitely can be a problem. And I have really good eyesight, and yeah. I still still struggle with that. And and the, the the game's a table hog too, and the board is maybe bigger than it needs to be. And there's your player board, and uh, that puts your tableau even further from me than normal. You know, so normally wouldn't be an issue table hog wise. But the fact that you need to see the other player's tableau definitely is a uh, is a strike against it. I've only played the game two-player, and I like that. I'd really like to play it three. I think that's really where the sweet spot is going to be in the game. I'm inclined to agree, but what I would say to that is I would like to play it three to see how it plays and maybe then incrementally step it up to mm. possibly four. But again, it's going to be a uh, a physical space issue. Oh yeah, can I see what yes. the other person, you know, kitty corner for me has in a four player game? Otherwise, I'm I'm willing because I feel like the the captain of the people and the bishop would have a larger influence in the game than they do in a two or three player game. Yes. I'm assuming because that's going to be first and second player. Yeah, that mechanic would definitely be more fun. Right. Um. I I think for me, in addition to that. I think a fourth and fifth player would just add unnecessary time to the game. The game, I think, in my my opinion, is already bordering on overstaying its welcome for what it for what it gives. Length is not an issue, but value for length is an issue for me. And I just think a four player, five player is just going to be longer than I'd like. And and that's entirely possible. I, I'm definitely not uh, negating that that possibility. Um, but I, I like you. I want to play it three-player, yeah. and then maybe play it four, depending on how the three-player game went, if that makes mm-hmm, sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel like I can give the game a rating. I'm On our one-to-six scale, I'm going to give it a rating of a four. Okay, so I, that's above average. Above and, average. And consider you know, keeping it in the collection or well, acquiring it, it. It's a good game, and um, Matt, I think, described it best when he called it a pleasant surprise. It's not, you know, it's, it's not without its charm. And, uh, and it is a very good game. It's, um, in my opinion, it's really kind of another game on the pile of games. So nothing stands out, Not, you're saying? There's only the captain, maybe, captain of the people mechanic would make it stand out from the, from the pile, make it distinguishable in its class. So um, in the end, the game does not remain in my collection. Okay, that's fair. Uh, we both had copies. Uh, I'm keeping my copy. Um, but I've only played it that one time. Not comfortable giving it a rating yet. Cool. Uh, But I am very much looking forward to trying it three-player. Me too. Edward. Tony. I believe you would like to speak of War of the Roses. I would. Let's do it. War of the Roses was published in 2010 by Z-Man Games, designed by Peter Hawes. Plays two to four players. We've only played it uh, so far four-player. It says it's about a 180 or three-hour playtime. Um, our play took about two hours, two yeah. hours and 15 minutes yeah. uh, post-rules run-through right, and right, everything. Right. Um, so I don't... I, dare I say the three hours might actually be... Overestimated. Right. Perhaps. That's rare. Huh? Yeah. yeah. So what's happening in the game? 
The game set during the period of English history that the name of the game comes from, which is 1455 to 1487. War of the Roses, Lancaster versus York, does a great job of creating the feel of the period, which is constantly changing of allegiances. All things are written in sand, so to speak. The two houses, Lancaster and York, had many military conflicts, but the politics and the intrigue that went on, that's where the real war took place. Wooing powerful nobles and the church to one side or another was a constant struggle. In the game, players play as one of two key personalities for their respective house. In the four-player game, two players are from each of the two houses, two from Lancaster, two from York. They are aligned, but they are not a team. The game takes place over five turns, each turn representing a decade during the war. Through skillful planning, which is secret each turn, players try to wrest control of those nobles, bishops, castles, etc. through use of force and good old bribery. After planning, each player attempts to execute their plans in reverse turn order, hopefully maneuvering skillfully enough, both by military force and well-placed and timed, bribes to obtain enough control points for themselves and their house to not only score victory points but also to have your house have a representative of your house named king after five rounds whomever has the most victory points wins the game so some things that i think are pretty cool in the game all right it's chaos but not randomness and what i mean by that is the cards that come out each turn are the only random thing. Sure. Otherwise, it takes really skillful play and similar skills that one would use while playing, say, Texas Hold'em in the reading of players and bluffing and in the actual execution of what it is that they're secretly planning. Yeah, I agree with that statement. I, I, I definitely see the chaos in the game. I kind of think of the game as Euro Trash. Well, Yo, you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. I do. It's it, it's my type of Ameritrash. If I'm going to play Ameritrash, <laughs> this is my type of game. Right on. I agree with that statement. The hidden information in the game is a cool aspect, and it fits the theme. I mean, there were no satellites back in the 15th century, no. so people didn't know where their armies were maneuvering and stuff, and so all of a sudden you might just find an army on your doorstep and be like, oh, wasn't planning on that. And that comes through in this game. I love the planning. Yeah, it's it, it, it has a huge... Those player screens, my Player gosh. screen, which is the size of a normal board. It is. And it's the same construction. I mean, the, the component quality is through the roof on this. It's fantastic. It, yeah, totally. It's a cool mix of war game, area control, bluffing, blind bidding, and reading of your opponent's. If that doesn't scream poker player, which I used to be, <laughs> I don't know what does. While the two Lancaster players and the two York players are aligned with one another and they are trying to help each other in a sense that they want their house elected king, they are not, it's not a co-op. This no. very much is not a co-op. Everybody's out. You can attack your own Absolutely. Lancaster or York brethren. And you will. Right. But there also are some incentives to make sure that together the Lancasters or the Yorks control an area to be able to score higher victory points, mm -hmm. both for themselves and for their partner. As I said, the production quality is fantastic. Like we said, the, the player shields are ridiculous. In a good way, ridiculous. Yes. The player aids that are on the player shields, yeah. fantastic. The planning board, which is your board, has very subtle 
um, little cues as far as movement goes that makes everything very clear. The, the planning board is excellently designed. I mean, everything you need is right there. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I wanted to bring up was the French aid was implemented well. And what uh-huh. I, it, it's a cool match. Uh, it, it, it's a very cool catch-up mechanic that doesn't really feel like a catch-up mechanic. It doesn't feel like it's a cheater, you know, a, a crutch thrown on. Right. Thematically, it makes sense. Like, yeah. does the captain, you know, do do the guys from Calais come up and help you? That type thing. And it, it's an influx of money, which is you know the lifeblood of the yes, game. Definitely. And it's just a really well-implemented catch-up mechanic that doesn't feel gamey. I agree. The French aid is awesomely implemented. If you're lagging behind, well, you're going to have a chance to earn up to 25 points, or excuse me, up to 25 money, depending on how far behind you are. If you're more than 25 points behind, well, you're only going to get 25 coins. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good mechanic. So there are a couple of, and I, I do mean a couple, uh, things that were kind of eh, le- less cool about the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, the busyness of the art on the planning board, it can make it a little hard to see your counters yeah. on it. Um, it's it's colorful, it's pretty to look at, but it can be a little muddy. In the process of making the board awesome, they also made it hard to read. I, I just put cubes on my pieces on my board to so be that i could to, see oh, them. The, yeah. oh there they are yeah. but still something i wanted to point yeah. out um there may be some colorblind issues there our buddy paul chad who is colorblind didn't play with us uh in our one play mm-hmm. of this so far mm-hmm. so we can't say definitively but i i feel like there may be some mm-hmm. some issues there and the last thing i wanted to bring up was it is a bit of a table hog have a big table if you're going to play it four players because with the player boards, the player screens, and a monster-sized map, pretty big-sized game. But really, that's all I can harp on as far as you know the negatives of the game. Uh, so the chaos is a little bit of a rub for me, but it's doable. I, I, I It's enjoyable chaos. I don't know if that makes any sense. Oh, it totally does. That's exactly how I feel it's about not, the game. I mean, I'd play it three, four times a year kind of a thing. Oh, but, I mean, yeah. I, it would not hit the table once a month or anything for me just because right. of that chaos. Oh, level. no, but a, a few but times a year is totally reasonable. It's good to just get in there and thrash it up with your friends. And you're talking about a couple of guys that are heavy, heavy Euro players. Right. So the fact that we enjoy this kind of Ameritrashy Euro, Euro guess, trash. Um, is it says a lot for the game, mm-hmm. I think. As far as a rating, only one play, too early to rate in my opinion, but... That said, I am quite anxious uh, to play it again, although I'm unsure if I want to play it with different player counts. It plays two to four, but in my opinion, as far as the two and three player game, having not played them, I think there are probably other games that I would enjoy playing it more at those player counts, yeah. whereas a four player, all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, I could I could do some more of the roses. Yeah, I, I echo those sentiments. I I usually like higher player counts in games. Some games are obviously not conducive to that. But uh, on this one, yeah, definitely higher player count. And that's Heavy Cardboard's initial thoughts on War of the Roses, Lancaster versus York. Without further ado, Heavy Cardboard presents Indonesia. Indonesia is a 2005 game designed by Joran Duman and Joris Versinga, published by Sp- Blotterspellen. Which is those two designers. 
The artist of the game is not worth mentioning. More on that later. Player count, two to five players. Length of time, three to five hours. The availability and the cost, well, on the secondary market only, right, Edward? Yeah, it's you're looking at anywhere from 170 to 250 bucks. The good news is a reprint is coming either later this year or more than likely in 2016. Yes. Even when it does, though, you're looking at anywhere from 90 to 110 bucks for yeah, a copy of the game. It's still not going to be an inexpensive game. No, that's just welcome to Splatter, guys. Exactly. Um, personally, I have played the game one three-player, one four-player, and two five-player. And, and all of those were with you, but I think you've played it at least one more time. Yeah, I've played it five times. I've played it once three-player, uh, once four-player, and all the rest were five-player as well. So a fine time to talk about the scalability of the game? Sure. First off, the game scales incredibly well, in my opinion, even without the scaling done within the game. And the game what yeah, the game doesn't scale. No, right. It, it, as far as, like, um, you know, in some games, right. this part of the board right. isn't accessible right. or, or you flip the board to a smaller... No, right. the game is the game. However, the game just works perfectly three, four, and five player counterintuitively, it plays longer with lesser players. Yeah, it's completely inverted. Yeah. Since the game doesn't scale itself, it's the same game. With five players, things happen quicker. Ergo, it's a shorter game. So the four, four and a half hour mark Mm -hmm. for three players may be down as little as, say, two and a half to three hours with five players. All right, well, let's talk about what's going on in this game, give a little sense of the action. So the rest of our review has some context. Indonesia, I categorize as a produce and deliver game, often delivering on other players' transportation assets. Players are going to acquire companies that will produce various goods, and then they're going to ship them to the cities across the map. And those cities have a variable demand for each of the goods, depending on the size of the city. Hence, the produce from your companies and the deliver, hopefully on your own ships, but you know. The game is played over three eras, cleverly named A, B, and wait for it, wait for it, C. In each era, several companies of different types are going to be placed onto the board for players to acquire to operate for income. Also, at the beginning of each era, each player will place a city onto the board in accordance with options that are available to them on a card that they've been dealt for each era. And the eras are ended when there are zero or one type of company remaining on the board to be acquired. And so an era will consist of several, but an indeterminate amount of player turns. On each turn, the players are going to proceed in turn order through several distinct phases. First, you're going to bid for turn order. It's often important, especially if there's competition in producing goods and You want to be first to fill the demand of the cities. What's interesting is that whatever the amount you bid on turn order gets stashed away. It is counted in your money at the end of the game, but it's no longer a liquid asset. You can't use that money for the remainder of the game. The next phase of each turn is the merger phase. Players are going to acquire the ability to suggest the mergers of companies. Suggest. I like that. (laughs) Yes. I like that. Even companies that don't belong to a player. I can suggest that yours and Chad's merge. This is an extremely critical aspect of the gameplay, and we're going to get into that during our review. The next phase of the turn 
is the acquisition phase, where players can freely acquire any company that has not yet been acquired by any other player. For zero cost to boot. For zero cost. That's why I say this is more akin to you're not really acquiring the company, you're starting a new business. You're starting a new company. There are shipping companies, rice companies, spice companies, rubber plantations, and oil companies all to be acquired. But there is another type, Siap Faji. Which is just splatter goodness. Splatter goodness. Yeah, that's awesome. That type type of company can only be formed by merging a rice company and a spice company. Because they're microwave meals. How awesome is that? Yummy. The research and development phase is next, and this is where players each get an opportunity to improve one part of their business profile, and it's another critical aspect of gameplay. Here's what you can do. You can increase your turn order bid multiplier, so you could, your money that you bid for turn order can actually count factors more. You can also increase what they call slots. Basically, a slot means I can own one company for every slot that I have, So you only start the game with one slot. You could get up to five during the game. And having enough slots to hold the companies you wish to acquire or acquire through merger is a very critical aspect of the game. And then you can also increase your merger capabilities. To begin the game, you cannot do any mergers because your ability to own merged companies is effectively zero. There's one on the board, but it's the number of cardboard pieces that can be in a merged company so you really need to get to two before you can merge a company two separate ones into one or as you like to say suggest a suggest merger. a merger you must be at that level two to be able to suggest that merger yes the next research and development option is expansion normally a company can expand at the beginning of the game one space when they operate successfully an expansion is a critical aspect of, the, of operating a company. So you're going to want to increase your expansion up to the maximum of five, potentially. Because the bigger the company you own, the more it's worth to you in a merger should you lose control of that company. And finally, the last research and development option is hull. And any shipping companies owned by the player can carry one to five pieces of cargo in any one trip to any one city. And one is what you start with at the beginning of the game. So as cities grow or as distances grow, you want to earn more money from the other players when you ship their goods, so you want to increase your hull capacity. The next phase of the game is operations, and this is really where the lion's share of the game's time is spent. You're going to be producing and shipping the goods from the individual companies to the cities across the map. And this is where you will earn The owning player was going to earn some cash, and the shipping player is going to get a piece of the profits as they ship those goods. And when a company successfully ships everything that they can to the markets, they're going to get that opportunity to expand for free. Of course, you can pay to expand should you be handicapped, shall we say, in delivering your goods. The last phase of a turn is the city growth phase. And if a city has received the number of goods equal to their demand level and based on the number of types of goods that are out there, the city's going to grow. And there's three sizes of cities. There's a small, a medium, and a large. A small one requires one of every type of available commodity in order to grow. A medium requires two. A large requires three. When the last era is about to end, that final turn during the operations, all of the income you're going to earn is doubled during that turn. Then at the end of that turn, that's the end of the game. So you're going to count the cash on hand. Don't forget the cash you put in your bank that you spent on bidding. Biggest bankroll wins the game. 
that summed it up pretty well, I think. Simple. Let's go play. All right. Yep. We'll be right back. <laughs> All right. Let's get into our review. Let's start with the component review. I'd call it a mixed bag. The actual board itself is gorgeous. Love just the colors. Absolutely. Well, not just that, but the script artwork. As far as hear me out, as far as as far as form goes, it is a beautiful board. I think it is fantastic looking. If I were to frame it and put it on the wall, it'd be a beautiful piece of art. Agreed. However, that's not why we have the game. The game is to be played on. In that respect, it's a fail. I think one of the best parts of the game are the counters. And this is a guy that doesn't play counter games anymore. Or hex encounter, right. Hex encounter games, right? Uh, But, you know, the iconography on the little counters and everything is great. But, but like you said, the the board's horrible, man. They're, They're... so many of the regions are too small even for a counter or for one of the glass beads that they use for the city. And that's where I'm like, glass beads? Are there no little wooden houses in the Netherlands? Yeah, it's it's rough. It's confusing at best. First off, you have a square grid pattern which helps you try and f- locate the areas in which the companies are going right. to uh, be placed. So, for instance, you know, C3. Okay, you go over to C, you find 3, and some part of that area right. is going to be in that zone. So that's helpful. Great. But, but you can't tell because the freaking font is crazy and you can't yeah. read the company. Yeah, it's a script font, and that's, to say it's less than ideal, it's, mm-hmm. it's a terrible functionality choice for the game. Very, very poor. I will say this. After you get used to playing it a few times, it becomes, you know, it's moot. And there are some very confusing areas, especially the first time you play it. The very tip of Bali will cross into a different area and different sea zones. And it's just... Yeah. There are the designations for what comes out in what era... And what separates the different areas of a particular area of the map Mm -hmm. is confusing. Just, I got to be honest, it's pretty terrible graphic design-wise. As you learn the game and as you play it more, it becomes a non-issue because you just know these quirks about it. Yeah. But, yeah, I I mean, I'm a huge Splatter fan. Yeah, totally, totally. But I hate that part about it. The boat colors are totally anti the rest of the scheme. Yeah, it clashes. <laughs> it the, clashes. The, the, the player pieces completely clash with the the theme, the thematic colors that are used in the board and the cards and everything else. Yeah. Just that that's less than ideal. The money itself, the little coins are, yeah. are little cheap little cardboard coins. That, I mean, they're, you know, if Martin Wallace money were cardboard, it'd be this. Um. Yeah. So yeah, not not a big fan. We all, we play with our own custom made heavy cardboard. Heavy cardboard. Uh, or we or or chips are fine. Speaking of the ships, though, there's not enough ships yeah. of each color. Yeah. There are four different types, three different colors, and two different types of each of those colors. But there aren't enough. So, but late game companies are going to merge. It's going to be fine. But. Again, a couple extra pieces of wood for the price you pay wouldn't have been too much to ask. Agreed. So yeah, that's um, that's so, really what we got for graphic design and components. So when I began the introduction of the game, I said, "Hey, hey, we're not going to talk about the artist because you know." So anyway, um, 
Harsh, I'm sure. So apologies, uh, Joran Kessler and Enzo Mote. Um, I was a little harsh there, but uh, yeah. Better, better, better in the reprint, please, guys. Any comments on the rulebook clarity and quality, sir? Yeah, I think the rulebook actually is fantastic. Um, I'm pretty sure that you've actually never had to go through the rulebook. I've never, you? never read the rulebook at all. All right, because uh, Paul this Chad. Is, this is like one of the first games with. ever. Paul Chad taught it to to you. Um, I have read it. Uh, I've gone through it. It's easy to reference. It's really clear. Uh, it's actually a really, really good rule book, so no complaints on that. All right. Well, let's see. What makes this game heavy or medium? And I think heavy is the obvious answer. What about the complexity? Well, rules complexity. I don't think the rules are that hard to get. Yeah. And so the rules overhead is relatively low. Agreed. No complexity there. However, the complexity from the depth of the game can be crushing to some. And the reason I say that is playing the game... Players can play the game multiple times and just not relate how a decision that they made early bore fruit or didn't later in the game. There is a really, there's a cause and effect in the game that has a lengthy in-between time Mm -hmm. that can be hard to understand, hard to grasp, hard to see. And it's definitely something that really, really adds to the complexity of the game in my opinion. Yeah, there's some calculations and some math involved, and so if you find that complex, you'll find this game complex. So planning, I think, you know, in my mind, planning is really all about the mergers, um, and therefore that's what drives your acquisition of companies, you know, what things you're going to move up on the research and development chart. Uh, It's all about the expansion of those companies, earning and keeping cash and your slots open to acquire them looking for hostile takeovers, things like that. I think planning is all about what am I going to acquire? What am I going to do with it? What's my intention with it once I acquire it? Or what am I going to protect myself from? Right. That's what, what's my intention with sure. it when yeah, I acquire I, it? Yeah, I think Whether that... it's to dump or to keep. There's, there, there is a strategic kind of overview, kind of like say you want to be a shipping magnet. Like at the beginning of the game, mm-hmm. you acquire one of the shipping companies and you start thinking, hmm, maybe I want to go a shipping route. But at the same time, it it very much is tactical in a sense that, well, if you get that company merged with another company that you don't want, maybe you get out of shipping or maybe you have it stolen from you mm-hmm. uh, because you don't have enough you know, liquid cash. So you you do have to be flexible in that respect. So yeah, I do think yeah. there's there's strategic as well as tactical decisions right. in the game. Yeah, and I think I think like in like in business, you know, you make a plan and then you react to what's going on in the marketplace around you. Luck and random factors. I, I don't think there's there's any luck in the game. There are two random factors, one of which that is not known. Where cities are gonna be. Yeah. 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 Sorry. yeah, yeah, yeah. Alright, go on. There's initial turn order, which mm-hmm. is simply to place the first cities. Just last long it. enough to make bids for turn order. <laughs> right. right. And then there's the city placement cards. Right. And that's, uh, there are five cards in a game, so in a five player game, there's a yeah. A, B, and C, so everybody will have three. Those are hidden, and you don't know right. who's going to be able to place what city where. That's it. Dude. That's the only unknown hidden in the game. But there is a range, like the the city placements, they're in a limited window. Sure. This, this is era C. A city can be here, here, or here. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, yeah. it's printed yeah. on the board yeah. where yeah. cities could come out. You just don't know where they're going to come out. Do you think game length 
um, in, increases the the weight of this game? Absolutely. Yeah? I do. Uh, with three players, it's a four-hour, four-and-a-half-hour game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that definitely adds to the weight. Yeah. Um, Why? I do think that not everybody can handle that type of game. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, now, granted, if you're, if you're listening to our show, odds are you probably can. Right. But at the same time, is that going to... If we were to give this a rating on BGG as an example, would I consider the amount of the game length in my rating? Absolutely, mm-hmm. I would. Therefore, yes, I think it plays a part. I also think that if players are completely engaged and all the players are completely engaged in the end of the game, even with three players and it being a four, four and a half hour game, the game hums along and it feels just mm-hmm. perfect. However... If there is anybody at the table not engaged in the game, I do feel like that the time can it feels different, and I feel like it can drag in parts. And and here's why I think that I agree with that, and why I think weight is a factor in the game. Um, you can screw up, and then you're going to be playing for an hour, knowing your toast, or two hours, right? And so. You know, if you can't handle that, right, then you're going to be less engaged, and that's going to be a factor of of the length of time in the game. And that would be the first of many, or maybe not many, but first of a few similarities between this and say an 18xx game that I can that I can I mm-hmm, get that mm-hmm, feel for. Sure. How long do you think it takes a person to uh, get the game? That's a two-part question, I think, in this yeah, yeah. for this game. It often is, if I think of where you're going. First off, I think a couple of rounds to understand the rules is really all you need. I don't think you need to run through an entire age, even to, or I'm sorry, an entire era, era in the game to understand how the game works. I think you need to see maybe a merger or two, but after that, okay, no problem. But to get the game, mm-hmm. to understand the consequences of your decisions, multiple games, and yeah. I and I, I and by multiple I mean possibly more than five. Yeah, yeah. I I think this is a game that um, new players would benefit from learning the game from an experienced player that's an, that's interested in teaching the gameplay. And not just the rules. And I think that would help all those other things we talked about, like getting getting hamstrung during the game and, and playing and getting the game sooner. It's like, this is a training game. I'm going to talk out loud, and we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. And, and, but the point is to make you a competitive player faster. I think, I think that's fair. Um, this is also... A second reference to an 18xx. Uh-oh. Because I'd call this the closest thing to an 18xx learning curve that I've played. Sure. And what I mean is, just because you understand the rule, it still could take you three, five, ten plays to get a really good feel for the weight of the decisions that you're making and why you're making the decisions and the timing of those decisions. I, I think that's an excellent point. And... I think that speaks to the variability that a person's going to face in those plays in the game. The game, in the games we played, not a one of them 
felt the same. Played out the same. Yeah, and they felt completely different. Right. Not just a, across right. player counts, but even within the same player counts, they felt completely Turns different. Turns are different length, and oh my god. Yeah. Right. All right, well, that seems like a good place to jump off into what do we think makes the game enjoyable and why. Well, so far, everything that we've covered. Indeed. <laughs> um, Except the font. Right. <laughs> uh, I kind of went about this when I was doing my prep for this. All right. I kind of did this in a turn order order. Okay. Because there are... I think that's a good approach. Okay. So we'll start there. First off... The... I wish I thought of that. <laughs> First off, the placement of cities. At the beginning of the game and the beginning of each new era, players are going to go in existing turn order to go ahead and place those cities. Yes. And I appreciate that cities can be chosen where they come out, or at least to a point, which we'll, sure. we'll get into more Within of that a realm. later. Right. Um, and that's also a strategic decision, not a tactical decision, in my opinion. Because... Let's say you're planning on being a shipping magnet, right? Maybe you you have a chance to bunch up a city next to another city or maybe next to two closer cities. But you know what? Maybe I want to force you to ship further on my ships and pay me more money. So I put a a city way out in BFE Mm -hmm. so it causes all you people that produce to ship on my ships and pay Mm -hmm. me more money. The game compels you to ship if possible, so... Right, yeah. and so just the placement of the cities is a strategic decision. And mm-hmm. and on that note, I guess I should have I should have started with this. There are no trivial decisions in this game whatsoever. In, in, in a three hour or in a three player game, you're looking at four and a half hours, thereabouts four four and a half hours, and not a single decision you make is trivial. I don't think. Um. Okay, yeah, we'll come back to that. Because okay. uh, I think they're in the operations round. There are some trivial. But we'll cover that. We'll cover that. Um, but I know what you're saying. The meat of this game? Yeah, man. Every little thing counts. So placement of cities. That's that's where I'm cool. starting Well, Here, I'll, I'll, um, I like the way, like I said, how you've got your thing structured. So I'll just try to like come on the, on the pack of that. So, um, so the cities. I love the way that the cities grow. And and I love the way that in the different player counts, the cities grow differently. What I mean by that is in our three-player game, we had some size three cities out there. In our five-player game, we never got out of two. And the reason for that being in a three-player game, at the very beginning, there's only going to be three companies taken. And there's going to be a whole bunch more available. Right. But if two players take shipping and one player takes rice... Those cities only want rice. That's all that's available. Bing. So that's all. Boom! Yeah. All of a sudden, they grow. Yeah. Or if there's just rice or just and just spice, they only want one of each. And there's only two things out there, so it makes it easier to grow. Whereas in a five-player game, in that initial acquisition in a five-player game, there are five companies being taken, and it's possible that there are three different types along with shipping being taken. And it's going to be really hard to be able to get all three things to one city to make that city grow. And with three, four, and five players, there could be as many as nine, 12, or 15 cities. And that affects the growth, too. Throughout the whole game, you're right, saying. Right, right yeah. Right. Totally, totally agree. So moving on to uh, the bidding for turn order. Oh, yes. 
Well, like you mentioned, uh, when you were running through the, the gist of the game, it's almost like a long-term savings bond. You're not paying it to the bank. You're paying it to yourself. You're just no longer liquid. Right. Less liquid cash, less chance to purchase merged companies or to fend off predatory mergers, right. which we're going to get into in a little bit. But that that money that you burn now is money that you can't spend either to fight off or to to Make join uh, those mergers. That's correct. Um, Paul Chad and I got into a bidding war for turn order since we had we were in some pretty heavy competition on microwave dinners. <laughs> I was Michelinas, he was the Morton's fisherman. And um yeah, and I really found uh I really found that out there, you know, and I think we 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 both did. Um how turn order and bidding for it is critical and the money spent is money spent out of your hand and um you can't fend off predatory mergers. Which Paul Chad really found out by, yeah, he was able to ship first and maybe cripple you as far as you not being able to ship as many of your microwave, your CF 5G. Right. But he also left himself vulnerable to have his company stolen from him because he couldn't defend them. And I did that. Right. Yes. So, yeah, the merger system, I think that's something that makes this game very, very unique. I, I know of no other game that does it quite like this does. I don't know of any other game that does, yeah, anything like this, to be honest. Obviously, it's a critical element of, of good gameplay, too. So when you, when you expand your companies, you're basically creating a more valuable company. And it's a little bit of a form of insurance against maybe some predatory mergers. So if you lose the company, you're going to get a good share of the purchase price. It's kind of like your stock price, maybe. Yeah, I could see that. Um, so you mentioned at the beginning of the game, nobody has the right to propose a merger. That's correct. Uh, throughout uh, research and development, which actually we'll talk about here in a minute, um, you can advance your ability to propose mergers. Mm -hmm. And so whoever can propose those mergers can propose a merger of whatever they want, as long as it's a like company. A rice with a rice, a spice mm -hmm. with a spice, shipping with a shipping. With the one exception. With the one exception being spice and rice can make siap fudgy. Mm -hmm. Which is the second most valuable commodity. It is. And it's 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 really lucrative to be on the ground floor of the very first one that mm -hmm. comes into the game. Indeed it is. So, like you were saying, first off, to be able to propose these mergers, and by propose, really, we're not being totally honest with that. Because if you propose a merger, the merger is going to happen. I guess what I mean is, I don't even have to have the company. I'm just going to say, hey, those two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, if it's been proposed, it's going to happen. First off, the person making the available proposal must have a slot available to be able to propose that merger. Mm -hmm. So if they're not merging something in which they have a, a part of, i.e. one of their companies and someone else's, then they have to have an available slot. Or, or if they're not merging two of their own. Correct. And they have to have enough money to make the first bid. Yes. So that kind of piggybacks on what you were just talking about expansion. If you have a rice company that is expanded and expanded and expanded, and maybe it's, say... 10 wide now it's you know with a base price of 20 and you're trying to merge it with another company that has five that's a total of 15 rice 
shares, if you will, mm-hmm. each at $20 a piece, the minimum bid on that is going to be $300. If the person who's proposing the merger doesn't have that cash, that would be the one exception in which the merger cannot happen. Right. But even so, it's just a really cool mechanic as far as just the actual mechanic of the merging, the way the... The way the stock, uh, the way well, the share price is broken down. Yeah, the mechanic of it is is extremely, extremely well done. Like you said, the ten and the five. So in that company, if I had the five and you had the ten, and you know, let's say Paul Chad bought the company, you're going to get two thirds of 10, the money, right. and you get one third. And ba- and the increments in which it goes up is based on the number of yeah. units there are. Right. So in that case, Every I bid. had ten, you had five. Every bid must be in increments of 15. It could be seven, depending on, you know, however many there are. And so it comes with, I think it comes with, or at least both my copy and and PC copy had the charts charts that that just have, you know, multiples for easy reference. Multiples of seven. Right. Yeah, you got to look that up. (laughs) Especially when it gets, you know, into the $300,000, $700,000 range, it can be a little hard to keep track of. But I think um, over and above the mechanic, which is awesome, the implications of the mergers is just is so sweet, man. Oh, yeah, because if it's your company that's getting merged, you, at that point, have a decision to make. You do. Are you going to fight for it legitimately, or are you going to fight for it pump and dump? Right, just maybe thing. raise the yeah, bid. Yeah, raise the bid. Hope to where you don't you make, get caught. <laughs> right, and you don't mind losing the company. Because let's face it, you are going to lose companies in this game. You yeah. are not going to win every merger. Nor do you want to. I I would agree with that, I think. Yeah. Um, but Depending on the price. Right. It, 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 and it's the implication. All re- it's all relative, <laughs> It's all relative it? to what's it, going it, on. It all yeah. depends on your situation. And this is where being that having that liquid cash is going to matter. Yeah. So if you waste it, I, I don't want to say waste it, but if you used a lot of your money to go ahead and bid for turn order, you put that in a long-term CD, so it's there for in-game scoring, but it's not liquid. And now all of a sudden you don't have it. You have this really profitable company that you really want to protect, but you have it. And I'm the one with the merger, you know, or, you know, anybody could could merge Mm -hmm. as long as they have raised the R&D level high enough. You can, I can propose, hey, you and I are merging companies and you're like, no, but uh, okay. And if you don't have enough cash to, to defend it, guess what? You just handed me a very lucrative company. Thank you for, for your piss poor planning. I appreciate that. Another cool thing that really hasn't happened in any of our games up to this point, but I, I've I've spent a lot of time post game thinking about our games, and yeah, if you lose, said lose. in that example that I just gave, you lost this really lucrative company, mm-hmm. uh, and you only got a portion of the proceeds. Say you got a quarter of it, just ballpark. You got a quarter. I got three quarters, okay. or, or maybe half and half, whatever. Well, if your merger capability is at, say, level 3, and mine was at level 2, and I just merged your one-level spice with my one-level spice together, mm-hmm. but you have another spice company, what's to say you couldn't propose a merger of 
those two or that one big company, right. that two co- two size company that I just merged and spent this money on, and you propose a merger of your one size and my two size that was half yours previously, and now I can't afford to defend it. Well, you just stole it back, right? And now it not only was strong to begin with, now it's even stronger. And maybe you have a monopoly on it. And so there's that whole nother level of you don't want to pay too much for a merged company because you still need to have enough liquid cash to be able to fight off other predatory mergers. Just the levels that this goes is just awesome. And, And it hits those levels with one of our favorite mechanics, an auction. You know, so it's, all right, 200, 207, 214. Screw that. 228. Screw that. Three, you know, it's, right, and, but at some point, there's going to be a pain point at which somebody's going to tap out. Right. And you don't want to pay a penny more than what that level no, was. No, you, you know, you kind of got to judge the revenue generation of the company uh, during the rest of the game relative to the money you're paying out, um, which is an important part of figuring out what you're going to bid. But the whole mind games going on around the table with oh god it just come on chat paul chat just just make one more bid please oh damn or you know right and now you got stuck with something you didn't want to love those auction games yep and i should i think now would be a good point to point uh, a good time to point out that in the rule book they point out that money could be played open or closed yeah we play with clothes yes. because we don't want the AP inducing, hey, if you can track all five players' money, income, good on you. But we don't play yeah. with anybody that, that you, is doing you that. You can track all five players' money? You probably won already. Yeah. So on that note, that's why we're saying, you know, trying to – it's a educated guessing game mm-hmm. as far as the pain point and, and the threshold on what somebody is willing to pay. One of the cool things that can come out of merging shipping companies is that hull capacity can decrease. Or increase relative. Or, or increase. Right. You know, if, if your capacity is three. The players your co- right, mine. And right. mine is one. And there's a propose, proposal to merge those two companies. If you win that. All the ships. All the ships are now three. If I win that, all those ships are now a one. Oh, the pain. As far as capacity, meaning oh my God. you can only ship one, can only ship three, depending on who wins that merger. Just crimped part of the game, and now you're going to spend some R&D to get your your hull capacity up. I mean, there's those are implications in their own right. Well, and, and that rolls into the very next thing I have here, which is R&D. And I wanted to, I have been an example regarding that hull capacity. Mm-hmm. If a player increases his hull capacity, meaning all his shipping companies will be able to carry one more good than it was able to. So it goes from one to two, two to three, et cetera, et cetera. By increasing that hull capacity, he may force players to ship goods that they couldn't previously have to make more money, meaning, hey, you have a, a size five company. Well, maybe only there were only two whole two capacity shipping companies out there. But now if I bump mine to three, now you can sell out. You can expand. Yay. Plus it makes me more money right. and makes you more money. You cut those other guys right out of the biz. Right. But if through a merger, I lose that company. Whole capacity now means considerably less to me because maybe now I'm completely out of the shipping business or maybe I just have a smaller or a different shipping company. So now I have to switch gears. 
And this is where that liquidity comes in. You hopefully didn't bid too much, so you have more money to be able to maybe buy a merger that you're not involved in. Because going back to these mergers, if you and Paul, Chad, if I, if somebody, it doesn't matter who, proposes mm-hmm. a merger between one of your companies and one of Paul, Chad's companies, I can bid on it as long as I have a slot available, yeah. even though I don't have right. a dog in a fight, so to speak. But here's the kicker. If it's a five and a five, a size five and a size five company, that's a total of 10 units, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And we'll use rice just to keep it consistent. Okay. So if it's a 10 merged company, it costs $200 the opening bid. Whoever wins that must have whatever their bid is. But if you or Paul Chad win it, you only have to pay half the money right. because you have to pay the other person for their shares, right. if you will. You already own the your co- own right, shares. Exactly. Whereas if you still I, had to have the, the principal, though. Right. Whereas if I win the merger, I have to pay the whole 100% because I'm paying half to you and half to Paul Chad. And so just because I'm not involved, yes, I pay more, but as long as there's enough operations left for me to recoup that money... It's a profitable business. Yes. Even if I lose money on the shipping of it, it's still, and it might crimp your guys' ability to make money. So I not only took the company to be profitable for myself, you guys are making less money because you don't, that's one less company you have. Yeah. So I've completely changed the game on its head, potentially. Mm -hmm. And it's just, again, more layers. But getting back to that R&D side... By the way, that phase is awesome. That's the classic, I need to do these three things but can only do one element right. of a game. And that was my first note. Nice. I'm like, you're, there will never be a time to where you don't want to do three things. No. Paul Chad's famous for being like, hey, I'll skip my next two yeah. R&D phases if you guys let me do two, <laughs> two things. things now. Um, and what you choose, and not only what you choose, but when you choose it is life-changing, at least in game terms. You not only have to worry about your present situation, but future possibilities have to factor in as well. And look, each one, the reason why it's so damn critical is each one is just uber important. At at first, like turn order multiplication, that's not so important. But as soon as there's heavy competition, that that marker will start moving up. And by heavy competition, you mean heavy competition for deliveries. Yeah. Because cities can Me and you are both in rubber. Turn order matters. Right, because cities can only take whatever their capability is or their capacity is. If it's a, a one city, it can take one. And if the if the player who operates first is able to deliver yeah, I'm screwed. to all these, you're not making yeah. any money. You cannot ship. So that's why it's important to inch that multiplier up when necessary to, to so that you're putting less cash out in the bids. Me and Paul Chad were bidding in the thousands, but we weren't putting out thousands of cash. Because of the multiplier. Then uh, the slots. We talked about that, how important that is to keep your slots up so that you can acquire companies. Whether it's through acquisition phase or through mergers. Right. The merger stuff we talked about and the expansion, how it is important to expand to increase your share, your rev share of any sold company. Which either keeps mergers at hand because maybe you you've grown your company too big the person who wants to propose the merger can't afford the opening bid now you can be the predator right (laughs) and of course the hull capacity keeping that up to you know balance on any shipping companies you own or may own 
every single chore or every single track in the R&D is uber important. Torturous. It's just when is it uber important? Because what's uber important to you this turn, I might not care about. But I have my own torturous decisions to make between maybe it's whole capacity and expansion. Right. Or maybe it's whole capacity and mergers because I really want to be able to merge your shipping company over there with mine. But I see you can't, so I need to be able to do it so I can dictate so that Paul Chad doesn't merge my company with his. Occasionally, it is an obvious choice. But all too often, all and, and wonderfully so, it's a painful like, ah, oh, shoot, man, I need this and this and this. And you just have to wait and pick the, pick the most. Sense. Yes, exactly. So. But again, you're prioritizing not just for the immediate benefit, but also what's going to help your company. Or not just your company, but your company's long term. I think shipping companies are one of the most intriguing aspects of the game. Okay, that, I, I thought you were going a different direction with that, but no, I totally, totally agree with that. I mean, the game requires that everything be shipped. That can. Everything. As long as there's a capacity yeah. in the cities, it even, must be shipped. Nothing travels by land. Even if your rice plantation borders a city, nothing travels by land. Everything that must be shipped will be shipped. It's all the mountainous terrain. It's all the mountainous right, terrain, right. yes. And the, and, so, and the malaria. And so, on that note, at the very, very early on in our review here, I mentioned the whole, you know, the city placement part being important. Because if you're a shipping magnate, you want people to ship as far as they possibly have, you know, make them ship further mm-hmm. so that you make more money. Because, again... If they have the ability to ship it, and the and the capacity is available, it they be. must ship it. So it is entirely possible, and this is this is one of the cooler aspects of the game. You might ship some rice and have to pay me more as the shipping company than you made on making and shipping that well, rice. Well, we've seen at least one run where every bit of profit went to the shipper, like every cent earned. Went to the shipper. And I've seen it also where it's at a loss. So you, if I would have made $20 for shipping this rice, I had to pay 30 to right, ship it. Right. But I that must would ship it. And that is a exquisite aspect of the game, I think. I think that um, when you're playing with three, when you're playing with four, and you're playing with five, shipping is different in all those cases. And um, what do you mean by different? Well, I, I think that you mean the oh, shipping. Sorry, go ahead. Shipping is more important with fewer count, fewer players. It's always important. I don't know how to quite articulate. No, this. I, I know what you're saying. It, but but it, with fewer players, it, I'm going to make a lot more money than with a lot of players. So you're saying value wise, yeah. importance yeah. wise, it's. I don't know if we can say definitively one way or the other, sure. but it, 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 it has seems. seemed that way, right? And so it's it's funny because um, after Amanda's second play of the game, she had a shipping company and only shipping companies. Right. Two and of them. right. And she after the game she got trounced. That was a five player game. She she had won our first game um, and tr- got trounced in this in the second game. And she told me afterwards she's like, 
you know, I just don't think shipping, I'm just going to stay away from shipping. It's just, it's not lucrative. It's just a losing proposition. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You just don't put all your eggs in that basket. I said, slow down. Right. <laughs> I said, it's situation dependent. It's not, it's, it's player, player counts going to come into play as far as how many companies are out there. The more size company, of the cities, the more companies that are out there, the more lucrative it's going to be to ship. Also, the fewer mergers that are, it's going to be more lucrative to ship because more mergers mean less companies. Less companies mean less ability, less actual shipping that goes on. And so, I got her to rethink about the the validity or the 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 profitability, I guess, of shipping. And I do think that I don't. I should say. I don't think shipping in and of itself is the way to go, but I think there's a balanced portfolio mm-hmm. that includes yeah. shipping that can be highly profitable. And I just think that profitability increases as the player count decreases. That's my that's my feel so far. Okay, I, and I, I think that's that's at least valid. Now I, I think that um, that's not the only thing that changes in player count. I mean, this game plays differently. With three, then four, then five, and as we said earlier, plays longer with three than with four than with five. And I really like how different each player count is. Like that three-player game, you, me, and Paul Chad. I felt it from a business standpoint. It was savage. I mean, I had a, just a ball playing that game. Yeah, a lot more, a lot nastier. I it feel was. Like. Um, now, again, that that might not be. That might not be the end-all, be-all for every three-player, and not to say that five no, players yeah. aren't. But it, in our experience, they all have felt completely different. Here's what's weird. I, I immensely enjoyed that three-player for its savagery and how engaged we all were. Um, I think I like the higher count better, though, just because there's more, more happening in the game. There's more... More brains applied to the business world. The environment is more, um, maybe chaotic is the word, but uh, unpredictable and stuff. It feel when you in business when you have more competitors, that's what it's like. I like that in this game. I could I I could see that being the case, but I'm not sure I agree with you. I, I'll be fine. honest. I really don't know. But how awesome is that? It's great. That I don't know if I love it more at three, yeah. at four, or at five. I know I love it at all. <laughs> Player counts. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, my, my gut feeling is I like five better. So, I mean, let's see. I love three. So that means four is love plus one and five is love plus two. <laughs> nice. So operations. Yes. We're, we're kind of hitting on it already with the shipping and everything. Um, would you say that turn order plays, say, a small part in, in operations. <laughs> well, I mean, admittedly, uh, sometimes it does not, right? So if me and you both have the, like I mentioned earlier, we're both in rubber, turn order matters. Hugely. You got a rice and I got a spice, yeah, who cares? Right. And a lot of times early on, it seems, you're going to want uh, shipping companies to operate before producing companies, right. or at least those that aren't in the shipping business want the Players that are shipping so That's that right. they can expand. Because expansion happens automatically for shipping companies. Hey, Edward, would you please service this city with your ships so right. that I can get this crap out of here? Right. So it doesn't rot and on And grow that. my company? Right. 
and so you can pay me money, even though your <laughs> yeah. odds are going early on going to be making more money than I am. We mentioned three, four, and five. Longer at three, it's, it's a longer, longish game at five. Even time flies, man. When I'm playing this game, it really does. Yeah. I don't, I don't. I'm like, wow, it's over. <laughs> as long as everyone's engaged, yeah, and that has been the case, with one exception, right? And, and, and I'm not, I'm new, not new player got housed. Right, and just was just just kind of checked out, and it kind of it takes away from the game. But I don't think that's an Indonesia problem. I think that's that would be the case in any game in which that happens. Just it's something we need to make people aware of that, but know that going in that that's a that's a possibility. Every rose has its thorn. Uh, what are the thorns this rose has, sir? It's difficult for beginners to see the results of their decisions. Um, and it's, it's really hard to put two and two together in that respect. And it's, it has a very long learning curve for playing well. I think that's, you just hit on what I was trying to say earlier, where it behooves new players. If someone wants to just throw a learning game down and really just teach the gameplay and the implications of decisions such as they are in that present game. It's a bit fiddly and gets fiddlier as mm-hmm. the game progresses. Lots of things to move and count. Right. Um, and the biggest problem that I personally have with the game is operations are tedious and it, the, the tedium increases as the game goes along. Now, hold one second there. Okay. Because um, what, I, what I'd like to do, what I'd like to do is maybe blend a couple of things here because... You're saying fiddly and operations. And to me, those are two distinct but related things. So what if we cover them together? Sure, go for it. Because like, I think of fiddly as, wow, look at all these freaking chips on the table. Now I've got to like go ahead and, okay, how many does that ship hold again? Three. Okay, right. how and many did it do? That's fiddly. Well, fiddly and tedious. That I, is tedious. Right, and, and, and that's but all I, I'm saying. But I do think that the operations rounds are also tedious, often scripted and simply mechanical. And sadly, that's the largest part of the game. Largest as far as time-wise, time-consuming. I agree. And this also is another example of a similarity to an 18xx in that some of the operations, as the game goes on upgrading track and how the most profitable run and everything and it's it's very similar because if you can ship you must ship Mm -hmm. it's one of those things to where it almost becomes a a group effort oh wait no you can ship one over here still too right so okay and it's it's very and that's kind of a tedious part of an 18xx game as well sometimes if you are not shipping enough to satisfy the demand um, across the map you can make a decision on maybe I'll ship here, which will cost you more to ship there. But that's about as interesting as operations gets. I agree. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, I made the analogy and, and you tell me what you think of this. I have not played rolling stock. Rolling stock has been described as an 18xx with the board removed. And, just the stock. Right. And so I, that's the interesting part of this game. The mergers, the acquisitions, and that type thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas the operations is the tedious part of this game. And so I feel like 
that if this game had a rolling stock version, <laughs> kind of, it, it, kind of like how an 18xx has rolling stock, if there were a whatever rolling for Indonesia, mergers. I see that being the maybe the pinnacle of it. I don't know, haven't played rolling stock, but just to give you an idea, because the operations just becomes... <sighs> as especially late in the game. Right, and that's where that fiddly factor blends in with it. Right. And just like, ugh. Right. I am uh, I'm dismayed by the lack of variance in the way companies come out, right? In, it's in, static. Right. In A, here's the companies. In B, here's the companies. Not just here are the companies, but here are the companies and where they and come where out. where they are, yeah. I Maybe we're... I, this originally came out in 2005, correct? Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's a product, we have, a product of when it came out. And what I mean is... It's a dated part? That part of it. I mm. wonder. And, and, and it mm. could be a... It was just play-tested to death, which is entirely possible. Mm. And this is to have the natural evolution of the game to go right. east. And that's how it works. And that's what they intended on it to do. But nowadays, we are so used to variable startups and variable placements and all these other things in so many different euros. Heavy economic. Maybe we're just expecting it to be like that, and it shouldn't. Well, I think that would increase the interest in the game. I mean, okay, I'll take the Bali Rice Company. Gee, who saw that coming? Right, and, and, and I have it written down here that does the start feel scripted? Like, there's... yeah. I, 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 and that's kind of an, but again, only five plays of the game. Maybe it's groupthink, or maybe it's truly just scripted, you know, as far in because of the static startup. Now, as the game evolves, there's nothing mm-hmm. that is static, and there is nothing right. that is scripted. Every game that we said, every game is, is played out completely different. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not, we're not saying that, we're just talking. Locations and timing of what companies where. Yep. And so I wonder because I know you've played around with some, you know, matrix randomization stuff, yeah, to see if that would work. And maybe. so it's just it's interesting to, yeah. to wonder if that's. I, I'd be really interested to see uh, Joran's input on this. Yeah. Um, maybe I can ask him to come into the guild and, and see if he can chime in and let us know if we're nuts or if yeah, that's that's a valid thing. Ask him why Malaysia is not on the map. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing is there's lots of math and it's all the way through the game. Mm-hmm. Um, again, similar to an 18xx in that respect. Not a problem for me. I'm an 18xx fan. You are as well. It doesn't bother me. But it is when I hear economic, I expect that. But Absolutely. I figure I should throw that out there. There is a... A ton. A, a plethora effect. Lots, lots of counting and calculation. Yes, tons. Endless. For, forward projections. Yep. Um, I get it, but I don't have to like it. Double income in the last phase. And I actually, after one game, I asked the question on I the forum, said why, like thematically. And the answers we got actually make sense. Sure. The only thing I don't like about it, because I, I get it. It makes it worth acquiring a company. You know? It may, yeah. 
it merging. makes mergers in the last round viable. Otherwise, yeah. you would never have mergers in the final round. Yeah, and uh, and it to, it's to represent the that my company is more profitable than yours yeah. long term. Yada yada yada. So it makes sense thematically. Essentially, you're getting a double operation round, right? Without all the tedium right. of having to move the chits and everything else. I just wish there was a way to get another turn order bid in between there, because now you're getting two operations rounds on that turn order and it could be extremely effing critical at the end of the game oh it could be the difference between winning and losing right and but that's so like different from the rest of the game let me play devil's advocate and be like well maybe you should have anticipated the end of the game coming and you should have fought for turn order more and and you do that's what you do right 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 and i'm just saying that i again i i understand because it was hard for us to wrap our heads around at first, but the answers made sense. But I do get what you're saying. Yeah. But I, again, I think the counterpoint is, well, see it coming better. Be better, yeah. more astute at forecasting. Well, it I doesn't guess. matter. You, you see it coming. Obviously, it's going to happen. You know, But that doesn't change that you're now operating twice. Ahead of you. Ahead of right, anybody, right. whatever, right? You know, so. So the, the last thing that I can... I can gripe about, but it's not really a gripe for me because I own it. Is uh, it's awfully damn expensive mm-hmm. uh, being out of print. Um, and let's face it, it's it's going to be expensive when it comes out. You know, ninety, a hundred, hundred and ten bucks or so, whatever it was when it when it first came out. I assume it'll be in that ballpark. Um, and it's going to sell out, and it's going to be out of print. So if you want a copy of the game, make sure you're in tune with what Splatter's doing, or you know. Listen to Heavy Cardboard, and we'll probably let you know. So why don't you roll right into your summary? Indonesia is not perfect. Mm -hmm. In fact, it has a number of things that detract from itself. However, there are a few, if any other games out there, that provide the amount of constant tension and conflicted decisions that this game provides. If you're a fan of heavy, engrossing economic games... Find a copy and play this as early and often as possible. Cool. Similar summaries. All right. <laughs> My, mine is obviously Indonesia is a game that's not without its demerits. But I, I think, in, in my opinion, the good outweighs the bad. And this has quickly become one of my favorite board games. Um, you know, the, the game with the mergers, the demand, the, the interest, the intriguing shipping... It really creates this this environment that the players will operate in that makes it, I think, one of the unique games in the universe. And it's just one of the best economic games ever made, man. Can't argue with that. Well put. So our ratings. It's rating time, 1 to 6. We won't go into what the 1 to 6 mean, but um, I'll shoot first. Oh, okay. Sure, go for it. It's a 6. So, meaning Hall of Fame. This is a Hall everyone, of Fame. No, I, I don't want to say everyone should own it. That's not right. Well, it is a no-brainer. Well, yeah, for, <laughs> if for it's us. A six. But heavy economic game, fans absolutely should go out and get a copy. This is something that you probably want in your collection. And by probably, you mean should. By absolutely. Okay. I also have it as a six. I'll nice. be honest. I'll be honest. I did think about, is it a five? Because of the graphic design issues and all this other stuff. Two things... Made me say no. Okay. One, the mergers and the and just how unique they are. Yeah. And the fact that the graphic design issues and the the quote unquote tedium of the operations isn't a big enough issue as you 
get more familiar with the game. And a lot of those issues that we have are early game issues. And once you learn the map and learn where things come out, et cetera, mm-hmm. it, they become a non-issue. And yeah, you, you will pry this game from my cold, dead hands. <laughs> that is Heavy Cardboard's take on Indonesia. All right. That was a really fun discussion on Indonesia. Yeah, I, 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 I hope the listeners dug it. That was pretty cool. I enjoyed it. Let's, I've been uh, excited about this one all oh week. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that wasn't first in us. Well, no, I'm just kidding. Um, Cut that out. <laughs> I am. All right, so let's talk about some other things. Also heavy and also light. Yeah, so we got a couple things that have happened in the last couple weeks that I just feel like we should chime in on, say our bit, and put okay. it to bed. Fire. All right. First off, the whole Gen Con and the Indiana law that came out, SB 101. Mm-hmm. Gen Con put out this statement saying, look, we're going to, if it's passed into law, we're going to reconsider, you know, staying in Indianapolis because of the potential discrimination. discrimination. Mm-hmm. Support that. We, I, I retweeted it. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was great. Day or two later, the governor signed it into law yep, yep, and yep. Gen Con felt like they were backing down a little. However, they have a contractual obligation through 2020, which is the next five years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have heard that they've already started the process of taking bids from other cities and other locations. So if that doesn't tell Indianapolis they better get their stuff together, yeah. I don't know what is or what does. But I will say this. The ball's in Gen Con's court. Show me. Sure. Um, life is just one of the heaviest games uh, we'll all ever play. And uh, these are some of those tough issues and things that come up. And, uh, um, yeah, I get it. But, man, I just just hate anything that could lead to discrimination of some form or another. What I do in my home, if it doesn't affect you, where's the problem? Yeah. Live and let live, right? Right. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. The other kind of bummer, at least in my opinion, was this week, Days of Wonder had previously put out five tribes Mm -hmm. uh real popular it's their heaviest gamers game or whatever um i'm not interested in five tribes and i don't really it's their highest ap game yeah right Right. uh i'm not a big days of wonder fan it's nothing against them i mean who hasn't played ticket to ride but they're not really in our wheelhouse right let's say that fair enough however in their game five tribes thematically in the thousand and one arabian night universe that this is set in there are slaves in the game Mm -hmm. a lot of people no let me rephrase that some people a minority dare i say were up in arms over the fact that there are slaves however there were also assassinations and killing and murder in the game well days of wonder has decided to offer replacement cards for the slave cards in the game and they changed those out with fakirs which are i guess beggars or Mm -hmm. you know something along those lines those fakirs. I think it's a slippery slope that they chose to engage in, and I think that they shouldn't have made the change. I don't think there's any reason. It's kind of a mur- telling me murder and assassinations, okay, but slavery's bad. I get that here in America we have been brought up that slavery is flat out evil. It's there's never a good case for slavery. I get that. I support that, obviously. But we've also been conditioned, or so I've been told, that in some cases violence is okay. And so it's easier for some people to accept violence as opposed to slavery. 
And I don't know, man. We're playing a game. It's quote-unquote historically accurate. These things happened. I don't see what the problem is. And I, I just think it's a slippery slope that Days of Wonder went down. Well, it's certainly uh, a sticky slope. <laughs> Um, that subject and everything, and, and it's you know obviously a disgusting institu- institution, and uh, still exists today. In fact, yeah, oh, it, it, no doubt, it's um, it's disgusting in every form. I agree. Sure, I, I mean, I doesn't bother me in a board game. You know, I'm not big into PC. You know, and uh, whatever. You know, if if they if people are happy with fakirs and people aren't upset with what whatever, just. Play with whatever version you want to play with. I really don't care. We disagree on this, but that's fine. That's fair. So let's go on to something lighter, eh? All right. All right. Let us begin the growing in popularity Ask the Elephant segment. Yeah, we uh, we almost bit off more than we could chew this week. Um, got a lot of questions. So let me start off with the one carried over from last week. Okay, yes, sir. Michael N. asked, What games that haven't been distributed or announced for such outside of Europe would you guys suggest importing? I asked Jacob Kuhn, who's our, our resident American in Germany, to ask to help me out with the pronunciation, and he failed. He didn't see the tweet in time. I haven't got a response, so I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. Let me do it for you. Go for it. Neue Heimat. Okay, there you go. So I pronounced it New Heimat, but... Really inconspicuous looking game. Probably the most brutal auction game in existence. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. Really, really good. Super awesome. Right. Tough, tough game. So um, here, I'll spell it real quick. It's N-E-U-E space H-E-I-M-A-T. Look it up on BGG. You got one for us? Uh, yeah, 1.5. One, 1. Okay. Um, Kashgar. Handler de Siedenstrasse is uh, a Cosmos game that's only available apparently in Europe. There's not even English rules in the box. The cards are in German. Um, but there are some English assets available. Um, I recently got a copy. And um, it's, a, it's a fun little, another twist on deck building. And uh, one that hasn't arrived here yet is uh, Tashkent uh, that I mentioned earlier in the episode from uh, Pierre Sylvester. Um, I haven't seen that around the United States at all. So uh, it's got maybe some interesting-looking market stuff. Not not heavy or anything like that, but looks interesting. So th- that, those might be things to check out if you're into what those two games offer. And we're not going to try and spell those, but check out the show notes, and we'll, we'll link them to it. All right. right. All right, so John R. had a uh, slew of questions for us. Thank you, John. Uh, first one, what is your favorite part of Indonesia? His or the mergers, he thinks they're brilliant. And, well, agreed. Yeah. <laughs> Good call. No All other right. game no. does that, right? No, right. right. Yeah, they're, that's they're definitely the best part of the game. Um, his least for part, excuse me, his least favorite part of the game are the operations. Which pretty, obviously Pretty much I, think we, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, He also said Indonesia has been compared to 18xx in field. Can you speak to that? I think we, I think we hit I on think that. I think we did, you know. Yeah. Uh, operations round, route building. Yeah. Right. John also asked if we have a preferred player count. Mine is three or five. Okay. And I said, it's really damn tough. I don't think I do. But that says something when I can't pick a preferred yeah. number. Whereas a game like Demacher, easily best with five. Yeah, man. Panamax, best with four. four. Here, eh, three, four, five. I don't know. But that's awesome. So Kent asks... 
What other games feel similar to Indonesia? Anything with a smaller player count? Well, Kent, unless you want to go solo or just the two-player game, I don't know smaller player count. So I'll be honest, feel-wise, and we've hit on this a number of times, maybe some 18xx games, both in the operations as well as how predatory the game can be. Um, Something maybe like an 1830 or an 1889 to where it's more in the stock market side of things as opposed to the operations side. That's really all I got. As far as smaller player count, I, I don't have anything. As we said, Indonesia is pretty unique. Uh, Kent also asks, what medium to heavy games do you play at least once a month? And how long have you been doing so? For me, I don't have any. Yeah. Now, that's not to say that we're always cult of the new all the time. I mean, Indonesia, a perfect example. We just don't have any games set in a you know a, a permanent rotation. Yeah. Obviously, whatever we're going to feature gets a lot of play leading up to the review. But outside of that, who knows what we're right. going to play in a week-to-week, month-to-month basis. A lot of our game time budget is, is repeated plays of the game we're going to feature. Um, so, yeah, there's really no titles that hit it every month. But that's not to say that titles that we've subsequently played and featured don't reappear on our tables because sure. they do yeah madeira's still getting played in panamax and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. he has a couple more questions yep he says can you make a distinction between heavy games that feel fun to play versus those that feel tortuous what makes the experience different for each of you player interaction mechanics theme combos engine building something else well um we like what many folks consider the tortuous play. <laughs> that is fun. Um, for us, uh, torture is too much time between meaningful decisions. Yeah, I think that's really well put. Um, I said, while it's an awesome question, I don't think I really can answer it because part of the fun, like you said, are those torturous decisions. Whether right. it's Agricola, Indonesia, 18 Mexico. Right. I love the, the, pain, the, the pain that the games inflict. In part, I think... That's due to the awesome feeling I get when I'm able to fight through the de- the decisions and find a way to beat everybody else at the yeah. table. But that's not to say we're not having fun talking smack, poking at each other, as well as congratulating right. one another when they pull off a you know really deaf move. Like, oh, that was that was badass. Well done. Even though you kicked me in the teeth with it, well done. I should have seen it coming. I think the last game I played that I felt tortured playing it from a ugh standpoint. It wasn't even a heavy game. It was Circus Train. It's been, it's been a while. Just like... You just didn't like the game, Please right? end this game. Gotcha. Well, so, there, there was bust, too. Stop. <laughs> We're about to get into that here in a minute, I think. Uh, last question from Kent. Something that's rarely discussed when talking about heavy games is the brain burn, or and the brain burn, is actual math, if any, utilized to assess options. How many folks that you know approach such games from formal mathematical... From formal mathematical calculations versus intuitive assessments of their options. How often do you actually assess the positions of other players using the same math, if any? Dude, awesome I, question. I think Kent is a professor or something. There. No, I, I think that's <laughs> awesome. awesome. We don't have anybody in our group that's a heavy mather in we, that respect. I there don't are think. no mathematicians that I know of in our group. Right. However... There are, you know, that's not to say that it never happens. Hello, Arkwright, 18XX, hell, sure, sure, Indonesia. Sure. But that's the exception, not the rule. For me personally, I've done enough calculations, maybe not in-game, but I've done enough in my years as a professional poker player leading up to this that it's more intuition for me or gut 
than it is laying out the math prior to making my decision. Again, there are times that if it's close and I really think it matters, then I'll math it out real quick. But overall, no, not really. If you show up to play Indonesia and you've got like this printed out chart of company valuations based on the number of chits and the number of turns left, we're tossing you out of here. (laughs) Um, Number two is... You know, many of the games we do play and, and love require math, but, you know, the formulas are there to deduce in the game space using the variables on the board. Just figure it out. Mm-hmm. Luke S. asked a question. He said, since Indonesia is OOP, what other games could someone get to fill a similar space? Eek. I think we might have covered that aground. Maybe some 18xx, fairly unique game, though. Yeah, 1830, yeah. 1889, the operation, or I'm sorry, the, the stock market side of the 18xx's, I would say maybe, but even so, they don't have the mergers that that Indonesia does. I would say either find an out-of-print copy or wait for the reprint and get a copy. Nate and JS both asked a similar question, so we're going to roll it into one. Rank the splatters that you've played and and why. Okay, I'm skipping the why part, just flat out. Okay, um, I have some why, but okay, it's quick, all right. so you first. Sir. I said it's like trying to figure out which is your favorite kid, or so I imagine, since I don't have kids. Um, I really try to avoid rankings like this, but if you put a gun to my head, Indonesia first, Antiquity second, Great Zimbabwe third, Roads and Boats fourth, and Bus fifth, but it comes with a caveat. Depends on how long I have to play and what I'm in the mood for. I mean, I'll be honest. The first four of those, I absolutely love across the board. Mm -hmm. Bus, I found a lot more interesting than you did. It could have been that I taught it really poorly. But, yeah, Bus would be below those four and it'd be really damn hard to choose a favorite between those. Probably Indonesian number one. So, for me, Indonesia is number one and it would be my favorite splatter. It's just so unique, fun, and challenging. Roads and Boats 2 for me. I really enjoy the incredible openness and variety that that board gives you and the, this resource tree that's just bananas, man. It is crazy. <laughs> and uh, Great Zimbabwe 3rd. The game, the gameplay is fun, but, man, I, I love the auctions and the ability to gain those special bonuses at the expense of a higher winning score. And uh, Antiquity would be 4th. I really like my planning board, but the fiddly main board doesn't really equate to special play for me. And then bus is uh, one, two, three, four, twenty fifth. Um, maybe <laughs> Not a fan. Maybe it was the day or or whatever. I don't know. I'm willing to try it again. He's only played it once. It so. it it didn't register a blip in my heart. So antiquity and roads and boats are flip flop for you and I. Noticed, yeah. huh? Cool. Brian F. Oh, here. Let me ask this. Oh yes. Brian F. Asked Tony. Yes. Only Brian. two games on your shelf: Virsindas Volk and La Granja. Which do you play? It's time to call Velma and Amos and buy some new games. From Game Surplus. From Game Surplus. <laughs> I call the wife up and I say, honey, I'm going shopping. That's awesome. Sorry, I Brian. I love you, man. Brian. Ken S. He asks, hey, how's Edwards back? Uh, it is feeling better. And seriously, genuinely, thank you for asking, man. It's uh, the fact that I'm able to sit here and record, whereas the, the last episode, I was miserable. Yeah. And if that came through in the recording, I apologize. But uh, yeah, way better. Thank you. Ken's usual question, he says, is how does Indonesia play at two players? 
Um, it's a three-player plus game. <laughs> right. The end. Not interested. Yeah, no. Seriously, if, if you're only looking for two-player or under solo or two-player, this isn't the game for you. Scott N. asks, what was the largest merger that you were surprised to win? None, um, to be honest. <laughs> uh, there was one in our three-player game with me, Tony, and Paul Chad that uh, had I increased the bid $7, I would have won because that was the amount of money that both of us had. We couldn't go right. one more uh, or seven more higher than that. And I miscalculated and PC won the game or won, won the merger and because of that won the game. And I do, and that was, while not a, a merger I won, it was, it was just, it was just agonizing and awesome. And it took like what felt like six hours to go through that merger process in a good way. Just, you were like, do I go higher? Do I, oh, it was, oh, it was wonderful, even though I was on the losing end. For me, it's like, what was the, a, the coolest merger, I guess, okay. for me. Yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. a special merger, I okay. think. Right in our three-player game, I merged a shipping company with one of Paul Chad's. And, I, you know, I was just expected... I was surprised I didn't have to pay more a little bit because that was a game we had the serious competition for turn order. And he was first, and he laid down a, bit, a wad of cash. Like, with the times 25 thing. I mean, it was like, okay... For I, turn order, I can't compete, right. so you know what? Fine, I'll just bid enough to beat Edward and be the second in the turn order, right? And that put enough cash out of his pocket where I could do that merger and he had no recourse, you know? And, you know, it helped me out. I still finished third. It did catch me up a little bit. He still won, but it did knock him down a little bit. And so that was kind of like my first predatory merge. And so that's why it's special to me. And it was an aha moment for you yeah, when, it was. It, when it clicked. Like, Oh, that's <laughs> why you don't spend all your money <laughs> yeah. on turn order. Okay. All right. Dave E. asks, or yeah, states, I have not played Indonesia sufficiently to judge it across player counts. Not simply is the game good across its entire range, 3 to 5, but how does it play differently at the different player counts? I would say reference the above discussion we've had on this yeah, episode. Yeah, I, I hope we answered it. And yeah. Dave, let us know, yeah. uh, you know, in the in the guild if if we didn't, uh, or if you have anything that we didn't cover. A more difficult question to ask, he asked anyway, <laughs> <laughs> which we love. Uh, what gaming skills does Indonesia reward? If I'm good at Indonesia, what other games am I likely to be good at? And what skills are required that don't show up in every heavy game? I have something written here, but I'll be honest. What Tony shared with me before recording is pretty spot on, so I'm going to leave it to you. Okay. Um, I, I, I guess I'm just going to do like a generic category of business skills, for lack of a better term. Like real-world right? business Like real-world business skills. Can you finagle a monopoly on anything? You know, Can you foresee what merger possibilities exist and how those mergers might help you or hurt others? Um, and then, you know, so for, as for what other games, uh, I don't know, man, just uh, other games that might require some business skills like that, like perhaps the 18xx games and uh, others of its ilk. Um, so really like skills required and that don't show up in every heavy game would be this, this assessing of this merger value, um, and knowing, you know, that the value is often more than just the, you know, the cash you spent to earn. It's a, it's a whole big 
calculation about what's going what what are the variables in play on the table right now you know so yeah that's uh that's a tough one to answer it I'll is because he asked this you know what it, last week yeah. and i've been thinking about it and it's kicking my butt so i'm glad you came up with yeah, that it's not like you can just go pure math or right you know card counting nothing <laughs> 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 like all right, JS asked one other question. He says, have you ever played, and I think it's Keek, um, and do you have any desire to play it? This is a really rare, hard-to-find splatter game. Yeah. Paul Chad actually has an original copy of it. No, we neither of us have played it, but he says, if yes to either of those questions, do you believe it was well before its time, and do you see some semblances of other top 100-ish game, according to BGG? And the only thing that came to mind is, that, first off, this isn't our type of game. Neither of us really have an, like, desire to play it. Uh, I was thinking maybe Dixit or Mysterium or something like that to where it's Never like... Never played those. It's like, uh, you know, trying to find things in cards, like in artwork. And I was like, eh. Is it Where's Waldo? Similar. Huh. Um, it, there's but, a P&P version available. <laughs> there is a, a print and play of this game made available, actually, uh, by our buddy Kevin. Um but yeah, no, I, I I got nothing for you. Really, yeah, sorry. Sorry, guys. Uh, Phil asks, given the amount of talent coming out of Portugal within the heavy Euro fraternity... And man, is there a lot with yeah, Vital, Paulo, Nuno, Gil, and company. What is your best Portuguese-designed Euro game? For me, I say Madeira. Kanban's close. Uh, Zanguo, Vinos, probably in, well, Zanguo wasn't Portuguese designed. It were Italians, but it was Portuguese produced. So maybe, maybe Cause you saw one... the look on my face. I was like, wait, yeah. Zanguo? So maybe Zanguo yeah. is right. Yeah, yeah. asterisk, you know. But, but so uh, you say Madeira. Madeira. See, and I went about the question differently. I didn't think of it as the best game. I thought of it as the best design game, like Oh, what came up with some new stuff? Right. Because obviously the answer would be Madeira. It was our game of the year from last year. Yeah. However, for me, I said Panamax. I think. And the because of the uniqueness of the pushing of the ships um, is kind of what set it apart. But it makes it sound like the other games aren't. I mean, like Madeira, Kanban, Venos. Um, but I just think Panamax is really well designed. Although... I'm not a huge fan of the hidden goal cards, but outside of that, yeah. I So going about it two different ways, I get, or thinking about it. Hey, Phil, later this year, ask us that again, and let's hope we can say Nippon. Yeah, that'd be cool, right? <laughs> All right, so Brian, not Jeff, asks, <laughs> I think one of the really interesting questions about Indonesia is one you've always, you always ask. How many plays to get good at it? More than most games, I feel like it's extremely difficult to project forward the group think, incentives, and even mechanical effects to play well strategically, as opposed to taking most merger auctions and operations in, if not tactical isolation, than with a very short strategic horizon. At four or five plays, I'm certainly not there. Is that just the nature of the beast, or do I just suck? I don't think you suck, for what it's worth. To get good in... I'm not really good at it either, and I'm yeah. at five plays. I think more than you and I have, and we have. It's seriously. This is this is probably got one of the longest learning curves to get good at the game and proficient. It's up there with an 18xx. I think we know what we like in it. We know what we think we see in it. 
but we're but just it's not so good variable at it. every game. You know, it's it's not like oh, play this three times and you know. Brian P says, I don't know much about Indonesia at all, so I'm looking forward to the podcast. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> Rock on. However, I do remember listening to another podcast, The Long View, where they compared Indonesia to brass. I'd be interested to hear if you find any similarities between the games. I'm a fan of The Long View. Uh, Jeff Gamble is the host. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoy his show. Um, so I had heard this this episode previously, but when you wrote this, I went back and actually re-listened to it this week at work. And so it got me thinking, and I'll be honest, it only has two similarities. Number one, they're both economic games. And number two, the fact that whomever produces the goods may be using somebody else's shipping company to transport them, albeit abstractly in brass. Trains. Uh, yeah. Canals. Uh, otherwise, it's apples to giraffes. Yeah. Uh, I said both are, are sixes in my book. They're just completely different. And the last question we have for the Ask an Elephant this week is one by Justin N. And he asks, how's the Game Salute Pod Blast coming? So here's the deal. I've been promising this Pod Blast for a couple months now, I think. You guys know I am really anti-Game Salute. And the reason I'm dragging my feet on this is I'm really struggling over all the negativity um, that I'm going to have to muster in this pod blast and it's really hard for me to do to be perfectly Mm -hmm. honest even though i really dislike and i speak out strongly against them uh, whether it's on twitter on bgg whatever it's hard for me to put together a 15 20 minute pod blast and do nothing but talk about this so it's it's been a struggle it's not that i'm putting it off it's just it's hard to get up the oomph for a couple hours to put it all together so in a nutshell it comes when it comes so i'm sorry about that All right, well, let's wrap up this episode first by reminding everybody to visit www.gamesurplus.com, our fantastic sponsors. Check out their line of terrific games and terrific prices. Yeah, if you guys would, let them know that uh, you're coming to them from Heavy Cardboard. We'd appreciate it. They love hearing it. They're great people, and we're we're thrilled to be, uh, you know, partners with them. Tell the folks how to get in contact us one more time, please, sir. All right. Twitter, we are uber active there, at Heavy Cardboard. Facebook, a little less active, but we try. Heavy Cardboard. Email, heavycardboard at gmail.com. We love receiving emails, regardless of what it is, just about. And last but not least, our website, heavycardboard.com. Yes, sir. So that's about a wrap. That's uh, This is one that I've been nervous about and excited about to do. Very um, excited. Because it's out there and a lot of people have a lot of opinions about it and a lot more experience about the game than we do. But hopefully we uh, gave some good insight and you guys enjoyed it. In the end, that's all that matters, you know? Indeed. Good night, everybody. Catch you all in a couple weeks. 